Good morning to those in the West and good afternoon to those in the East. It is February 25th, 2021. Uh, I am super, super excited today to uh, spend the next hour with with my guest. Uh, A lot of you know my guest as uh, the former British Columbia Premier from 2011 to 2017. Um, Miss Christy Clark led British Columbia over those six years. She is the longest serving female premier uh, in Canadian history and the only female premier to actually be reelected. Over that same period, she demonstrated uh, the strongest leadership performance as premier in not only job growth, fiscal management, but job creation, the perfect trifecta. Today, Christy is an associate member of the Interaction Council, an international organization where former heads of state collaborate and tackle to solve the problems, the global challenges facing all of us today. She's also a senior advisor to Bennett Jones and sits and chairs on, sits our chairs, various boards. Christy has been recognized as one of the top 100 most powerful women in the country. She's been inducted into the Women's Executive Network Hall of Fame one of, I think, the the uh, her biggest, um, you know, most gratifying uh, things that she has done is co-founder of the Pink Shirt Day. She is a speaker. She is an advisor, a radio and television personality. Most importantly to me, she is a role model. Please welcome my friend, Miss Christy Clark. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, Gary. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Yeah. How have you been, Christy? It's wild. The, the world's really changed. I mean, you know, March of last year, this whole thing sort of exploded and COVID-19, uh, you know, uh, was was sprung and it's just been a crazy time. What it, have you seen? Been, it, yeah. It, it's been crazy. I mean, for extroverts like you and I, it's been, mm-hmm. I think, especially hard sometimes. But, you know, I have found that um, it's kind of <laughs> it's nice to have all these people on Zoom, you know, yeah. if I'm hosting a book club. And I don't have to clean up my house. I don't have, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't have to provide hors d'oeuvres or anything. So, I mean, there are, it's been interesting. The move online has actually been, I think, really freeing for some of us. But, you know, I know that for moms in particular, who are still doing something like 80% of the housework and the childcare, even if both partners are at home, you've got a big pile of laundry on one side, you've got kids to look after on the other side, and you have to be at work. And I think that, you know, the... It's it's the breaking down of those barriers in our day, those um, uh, those things that differentiate our day. You know, office is different from home, which is different from you know social socializing time. I'm not sure that that's been great for everybody, and I think the social isolation for some people. I know, I mean, people in my family been really, really difficult. And I see lots of friends who are struggling with mental illness and and anxiety and and in that and their kids these days. It's been tough. Yeah. And is that where the, uh, you know, is that where, where the most sort of vivid uh, damage has been? I mean, we had Dr. Drew Pinsky on the show a while ago and, and he had said that we haven't even begun to see the damage, the social isolation uh, that it's creating. I know right here in British Columbia, we talked about it this morning. We are at uh, new record levels of, of opiate, you know, um, crisis, right? We're seeing more deaths than ever before. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that where you would think we've seen the most damage so far? Or where are you seeing it? Um, I'm seeing it for sure in, I mean, the opioid crisis, it, we have never had more people die of uh, of opioid overdoses in the history of British Columbia. And so, you know, you certainly see that amongst the homeless population, but, you know, the majority of people who die of, of opioids do so in their own home or, or do it in a private dwelling. 
Um, you know, I think we need to keep in mind that a lot of these people are just invisible. And, you know, my father was an alcoholic. I've talked about this uh, before. And, you know, his he was an alcoholic because he struggled with mental illness. And so that was his medication of choice to self-medicate. And I think opioids are that for a lot of people too. So I, you know, the th two things I think are inextricably linked. Yeah. Well, let's go back to the beginning, Christy, maybe share with our audience uh, just sort of how it all begun and, and your journey and how you wound up in, in politics and not only wound up in politics, but you know, how you wound up as, as premier. We'd, we'd love to hear that story. Well, okay. It's a, it's a long story because it started earlier. You have to interrupt me if you feel like <laughs> All right. my dad was a candidate for the BC liberals in 1966, 1969 in a by-election mm -hmm. and in 1974 lost all times. He was a teacher, president of the writing association had to run because nobody else would was the writing BC liberals couldn't win at the time. And, and I don't think have ever since. Um, and he, um, I, so I was knocking on doors for him when I was a little kid in 1969, I was like four wow. years old. And he'd send me up to the door and, you know, I was like an, any four year old, I was cute. So they would, <laughs> they would, they <laughs> they would yell at him, I guess. Yeah. And, um, so I just kind of grew up around politics and my family really encouraged open debate and opinionated debate around the table, which I think is hugely important for intellectual development for kids. It doesn't have to be about politics, but I mean, there's just so many things to talk about and debate. What kind of art do you like? What kind of music are you interested in? Do you, you know, what, what makes a good teacher? What makes a good horse or a dog? You know, whatever the discussion is that you want to have, parents, my parents really encourage that. So I was never afraid of debate. I was never afraid of being challenged and I was never afraid of challenging other people, which I think was really good groundwork. And then I, for politics. So then I went to SFU. I didn't know anybody. I felt super alone. I was very depressed. I think lots of kids in first year go through this. And so I decided to join the Young Liberal Club and I met my lifelong friends in that mm -hmm. and then went to work in politics for a little while, um, both here and or in Victoria and in Ottawa came home, ran with Gordon Campbell in 1996, um, had a spectacular, I won in Port Moody by 462 right. votes. Still remember that number, yeah. but we lost <laughs> the government. And remember, you'll remember Gary, probably yeah. every everybody predicted that we would win and Glenn yeah. Clark just squashed us. Then, you know, the rest of my career, I think you sort of talked about that. I joined the government as a minister, had a baby, brought him to the legislature, quit, went to radio and then came back and, ran for leader of the BC Liberals and became the premier. Yeah, I think when you actually uh when you actually had the baby, I think you were the uh the first minister to actually uh to to have uh, a baby uh while sitting, correct? I think yes, I think it was the first minister. I think there was an MLA in Quebec who'd done it, but I don't think she okay. was serving in the, as in the cabinet at the time. And you know, Gordon was really generous. I mean, he he really did believe in the role in families in politics. I thought that was great, and he mm -hmm. really did believe that women should be supported um, with their families. So, you know, I brought my little guy to the legislature as an infant. We had a <laughs> nanny there with him, and it was so great because you know, I could when you when you're a working mother, um, especially when you've got a little guy, you know, okay, so maybe he's one, right? Maybe you took a year yeah. off. It's still you that child, you still know that you that child needs you sometimes. So I was able to just pop across the hall and 
give him a snuggle for, you know, maybe five minutes if I had a break between meetings. <laughs> and I think it made, it just made such a huge difference for my mental health and my sense of guilt that mm -hmm. almost all women have, which is I'm either bad at my job or I'm bad at being a mother and I can't be good at both. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's a, that's you know, well, and it's funny. I mean, let's let's actually drill down on that a little bit, right? That has been the biggest challenge today. It's it's you know, I don't think you have to choice, you know, choose today from being uh, an entrepreneur or, or being a mother. I think that we're starting to make you know some steps on there. And you've yeah. always been incredibly proactive. And I mean, you sort of led those charges early on. I mean, when you were premier, I think if we're right, about fifty percent of the of your caucus were, were female, right? You know, of your well, cabinet. The cabinet. I mean, yeah, the thing the, is, Gary, when you're the premier, you don't get to choose who the caucus is because that's right. all you know, right it's who wins and of course loses, right, right. yeah but you do get to choose who your cabinet is right and so there was a disproportionate number of women out of the caucus who were in my cabinet because we tried to keep it about 50 50 the whole time and you know the thing i kind of regret about that gary is honestly you know we're talking about leadership today i decided not to make a big deal out of it because i didn't want those women who were in my cabinet to feel like they were tokens I didn't want anybody saying I'd appointed them because they were women. I had an unbelievable cabinet, great women. Everybody who was there deserved to be there. But when I look back on it, I wish I really had trumpeted it a little bit more. I think I think that might have been better leadership. And then you saw Justin Trudeau right. make a huge deal out of it. Yeah. And you know, I think that I think his leadership on that did make a difference in terms of yeah. helping change the culture a little bit. Yeah, I think it did. And I think it's, uh, I think we, you know, it's, it seems anyway, uh, you know, from the outside looking in that it where we are really starting to make some strides. I mean, there's still, you know, huge challenges uh, ahead of us. So, so just on that same vein, so what do you think are the unique challenges that women have faced in the world of policy and politics and, and even business? That it's hard for us to be taken seriously. It's hard for us to be heard. I mean, it's just like, really, that's what it comes down to. People, mm. you know, in, people, men and women are less likely to take women seriously when they say something. So they're less likely to listen to us. They're less likely to promote us. They're less likely to recognize our the talents that we bring. We are less likely to make as much money. It's all about a, a differential level of respect in a society that is sexist. That's what mm -hmm. it is. And, you know, part one of the, you know, women are the victims in this, but we are also, you know, we are grown, we grow up in this sexist stew from the very beginning. I mean, from the very beginning, we learn the same lessons about women, ironically about ourselves and absorb those that men do, which is, expectations for us are lower that um, we need to be liked. So you can't be tough. Um, and you know, that it, relationships are not about transactions. Relationships are about how you feel about something. So women grow up in this world and it, it makes us, it makes us sometimes less capable until we realize, wait a minute, that's a con. That's a lie. Mm -hmm. We are just as capable and able as men, we can be tough and likable at the same time. And, you know, if people don't like me, that's okay. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go, you know, I mean, and we often question ourselves too. There's been tons of leadership around whether or not women have confidence in what they say. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you think about, you think about your own language um, and, you know, look, I'm guilty of this too. You know, you know, I really think that, or another perspective on this is, and really that is acceptable 
language from women. But you don't hear men doing that nearly as often. Men will say, you know what? No, wait a second here. Here's the thing. The truth is X, Y, Z with total confidence. But, you know, when men get, um, when men are proven to be wrong, mm -hmm. men just move on. Mm -hmm. You know, they just move so on. True. So women can't, we also don't have the liberty really of kind of being able to make things up because we believe that we're led to believe that whenever we get something wrong, we're proven to be a fraud. And so we better not get anything wrong. So we're also less likely to speak out with certainty because, I mean, nothing's ever really certain. And those are just some of the challenges that women face all the time. And some of those barriers are things that we can change ourselves. You know, Cheryl Sandberg says, lean in. I really, really believe in that. And that is a terrific leadership book for women, I think, as well as yeah. the one that we're going to talk about later. Yeah, actually, you know what? Let's just make a mention of that. Talking about uh, books, uh, we asked Christy what, what one of her favorite books was, and it was this book, The Road to Character by by David Brooks there. You'll see that. So today, guys, as always, make comments, post shares, thumbs up on social media, any social media channel. Dave's going to put up the, uh, the hashtag, and uh, we're going to pick 50 of you, and we're going to send out this book. Um, Christy, you really, you know, it's, I mean, people, we just get distracted, and, and, and noise gets in the way, and we forget, but you know, you really, really were, you know, uh, one of those individuals that early on just just helped Canada become uh, tremendously um, out front when it comes to, uh, you know, the female movement and, and the power of uh, female leadership and the value and the multitasking and everything you've done. If you were here today and you were speaking to, you know, someone who's got, you know, young boys and young girls, but especially young girls at home today, any tips you can give them as a, as a, as a mother and father team on how we can start very early on uh, sort of, you know, like reaching them at a level so they, they, they know they can, so that there is no doubt that that imposter syndrome doesn't even begin to creep into their mind. Yes. I, you know, I think we, um, we tell girls that they can do anything that they want and um, it's not true right now. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think a truer message is to say, you know what, life, you, life is harder for girls in our society. Mm -hmm. okay. And that's something that as your mother or father, I am trying to change. And when you grow up, as you grow up, one of your jobs is to try and change that too. So, you know, know that you are powerful, know that you have your own strength and that you never have to worry about whether or not you're real or you're a fraud because you are real and you are just as powerful as your brother or your dad growing up. And you know, I, 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 <laughs> there's small things, right? Like we, we talk to our daughters and we say, we call them princess. Mm. We don't call them, you know, we don't call them queen. We don't call mm. them. I mean, maybe queen isn't even great. We just, right. but we don't call them. The, the, all of that language is laden with, um, with the you know kind of the memory memory that women are secondary. Mm, and so true. I, I just you know I just think we really have to be honest with girls about what life is like out there because mm -hmm. if we tell them it's just going to be fair and you're going to be just you're going to get whatever you want, it is not true. And we need to make sure that they understand that so that they can see those barriers. Because as they're growing up, if they can see those barriers, they are much more likely to try and take them down rather well, than try and just be co-opted and held back by them. 
Christy, I think that's such a valuable comment. I, I, you know, I mean, I, 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 you know, I've made that same mistake calling, you know, uh, my daughter as she was growing up princess and, you know, those, I think making them, you know, sort of aware and, and not, not, we talk about words that work all the time and not pigeonholing them just with our language, thinking that we're actually protecting them. Yeah. yeah. What, what a, what a great comment. Yeah. Yeah. So Christy, I read a quote, uh, from you and it says, have the courage, take risks, fail, Find your own path and forgive people who have done you wrong. Share your thoughts on, on that quote that you uh, had put out there in the past. Well, I mean, Gary, that's the first half of it is something you know well. You're an entrepreneur who built right. an incredibly successful business. And, um, you know, failing is part of being a successful entrepreneur. And I think for men are a lot more careful, a lot more comfortable and the research shows us this with failure because they don't, as I said, they don't worry about being frauds. I mean, I always, mm. whenever, whenever I give a speech to a women's group, I always say, you know, the thing is, is that there's you men and women. If men get something wrong, they just make something else up. <laughs> women, yeah. women never yeah. want to make things up, um, which I guess is probably a good thing, but it does limit our ability to kind of uh, get in there. And I, so I think women have to be way more comfortable with failure um, but I, and I, and I also, you know, I also think that we have to forget on the second thing, I, my thing about forgiveness, and this is part of, you know, people like David Brooks with this book road to character, talk about it. I think, um, our failure to forgive people who've done us wrong holds us back. Oh, amen. And I think it poisons us over time inside a sense, you know, we, we sit with a sense of grievance, grieve, grievance and injustice. And that, um, that isn't healthy. Like who cares if somebody did you wrong, mm -hmm. go out there and be great mm -hmm. and you won't care about whether mm -hmm. or not and what they did to you. You know, I've been through a divorce. I've been through all kinds of family issues. I've been through, I've had lots of people in politics say terrible things about me. And, you know, I'm no different from anybody else. My life hasn't been perfect and I haven't been perfect but I've really worked hard to just let all that crap go. And it, cause it's just an anchor that's weighing me down. And the Buddhists mm -hmm. talk a lot about this, you know, really anger and, and, um, and hurt is just suffering that we carry with us and it multiplies and suffering. I think suffering eats us up. And I think for some people, it makes them grievously ill. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because, and, and was this in your household? I mean, you've always been, you know, as long as I've seen you uh, via government and politics, you've always been very, very strong. I mean, you, you could, it doesn't matter right or wrong, right? You didn't, you weren't, you know, trying to be the flavor or the favor of an issue on either side. I mean, you just directly went after it and were very outspoken. I think that is one of your most positive attributes. How did you build that muscle? I mean, when do you know when to charge and when do you know when, you know, when, when and maybe not to be as aggressive. You know, I grew up in a lower middle class neighborhood in Burnaby, last of four kids. Um, and I really kind of, you know, when the fourth, I don't, I honestly, it's hard to do a good job, I think, raising four kids. <laughs> Let alone, yeah. And, you know, I'm not sure my parents did. <laughs> they tried, but they kind of gave up by the time I came along. So I kind of had to make my own way in the world. My two brothers and sister were you know, they were pretty tough and, and my neighborhood was pretty, it was pretty rough and ready. So I really just learned not to take any guff from people because that was the way to survive. And um, it's probably not the, you know, the best recipe for, yeah. for getting tougher, but I just sort of, you know, and the other thing that happened to me, Gary, was when I got back into politics, 
I look back at my first tenure there from 1996 to 2005, especially when I was in government and it was so stressful and there was so much focus on my appearance and my voice and, you know, just so much sort of little criticism that really bugged me. Um, I just decided if I was going to go back into politics, I was going to be me. I wasn't going to try and be what people expected me to be. I was going to run for leader is just me. And if people didn't like that, they didn't have to elect me. And I was going to be okay with that. And I went into the 2013 election with the same, you know, the 2017, just like, and being premier, it was just like, that's who I am. If you don't like it, that's okay. And that's your decision. You know, and I respect your decision, you know, and I don't have to like you either. <laughs> but I don't <laughs> yeah, know how yeah. you, kind of, you kind of do have to jettison your, I care a lot about what people think mm-hmm. for people, you know, people like you, people who I respect. Mm-hmm. Um, but strangers, I don't really know. I'm not sure why we get obsessed with wanting strangers to love us all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it's important in politics because you need their votes. But, you know, I, f- I feel like there's a lot of young kids in today's society who are thinking about, how many Instagram followers do I have? And what are people saying about me on Facebook? And I don't think that's very healthy. Mm-hmm. Why do people care about that? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's such a uh, a great discussion. I mean, it's it's we see it over and over and over. I say to people, listen, you know, the more you prepare yourself for for breakdowns and trials and tribulations and chaos and, and people saying uh, bad things about you, you just, you know, develop this sort of layer of this shell where you just, it doesn't matter anymore. You look at, at, at the South, you look at, you know, the president of the United States, you know, depending on who he is on any given year, 50% adore, love him, worship him, and 50% hate them and if you mm-hmm. it's like in business too i always say to people you know and you said it your friends your inner circle in our case our lenders our insurers our brokers our agents those who know us know best right yeah. those who don't who want to give negative you know input to us their comp their 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 thoughts doesn't matter to us and i think it's really important and that's a that's a topic that we can we can build on talking well, you about know, building- you know gary because one of the things i used to say to my son because he used to get chirped all the time you know your stupid right. mother and right. terrible you know blah like when he was when he was he was a goalie in hockey and you know the, all the other kids on the other team that was one of the things they would do right to chirp him mm. to throw him off right yeah and um i i used to say to him you know hamish the thing for me is that um I know, I I know that I am always trying my very best to be a good person. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm not perfect, but I know I'm always trying to, one of, my goal in life is to be the best person that I can be. And so when people say terrible things about me, and I would say, when people say terrible things about you, mm-hmm. you know it says more about them than it does about you. And I used to say that to him all the time. And then yeah. I would think, yeah, like if I'm saying that to him, and I think we all say that to our kids. I don't think we take enough of that on board ourselves. Yeah, yeah, no question. Well, we're going to actually, in a few minutes, we're going to jump over to that whole bullying thing and how kids communicate today and the insidious damage that it's doing to our, our children and our society. But before we do, I want to just talk about this book. I actually haven't read this book that we're going to give away today. Uh, and coming from you, and you said it's one of your favorite books. So one of the the, the, the big themes from that David's book, uh, book seems to be uh, the book is called the road to character but it seems to be is the 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 resume virtues versus the uh eulogy virtues in that resume virtues are skills for the marketplace right and uh versus the deeper items that are mentioned uh and you want to have mentioned in your eulogy um can you explain that to us a little bit and and why it resonates with you and tell us the difference yeah. Well, because it's about being a better person, I think, right. you know, I mean, honestly, 
you know, people will say about you, Gary, you know, he ran a, he had a great business. You know, he did a great job at, 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 you know, very skilled and, you know, and that's great. Mm -hmm. But, um, and it, but everybody knows that, but what, you know, I think it will be just as important to you in, in your, in your obituary that people say, you know, and he, he was beloved by his staff, the people that worked for him. Some of them worked for him for 20, 30 years. People didn't want to leave. He was so good to people. He was so generous, such a good listener. I mean, I think those are the things we want people to say about us. Mm -hmm. And so those ob obituary uh, uh, virtues, what do you call the eulogy virtues? Eulogy virtues, I yeah. think are the ones, are the things that really matter. Those are the things about becoming a really, trying to always be a really good person. Because mm -hmm. honestly, nobody's going to say, oh boy, Gary was really good at math. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He can do a spreadsheet like you yeah. wouldn't believe. Right. Yeah. You know what? They did a study a couple of years ago and I read a report and it was talking about, and there was a book written, you know, uh, as well, who will cry when you die. Uh, but it was all about that message and who you are as a person and, and not your accomplishments. And they had said that they did studies that out of, you know, the hundred percent of the people that actually came to your funeral service, if it was raining outside and you had to walk across to actually, you know, see the casket layered, something like 75 or 80% said, no, it's raining too hard. You know, I, I said my piece and won't make the effort to walk into the actual graveyard to lower the casket. Right. So, you know, it's, it is a really narrow focus on those people that actually care and who will cry when you die. So, I mean, that has to be the focus obviously on all of those relationships. We always say it's not transactional, right? It has to be so much more about personal relationships. Christy, I want to jump in uh, here because this is an area that is just near and dear, and I got lots more to talk to you about. But let's talk about bullying today. And I think you know, uh, actually, uh, Dave was early on our board, but I was a co-founder of of the I Am Someone Anti-Bullying Foundation. You were a co-founder of the Pink Shirt Day, which is incredible. Tell us how that started, and then let's just uh, let's talk about bullying in general because I really want to give some takeaways to our listeners. On, on how vile this is today and, and what we can do to, you know, start, um, you know, improving that. Yeah. And the, of course, the fact is that I think bullying's gotten worse right. because of the anonymous nature of social media and all that, the pressure on kids is just awful. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it started because um, I was in radio at the time I was at CKNW and I started talking about bullying on the air one day. I can't remember. And a woman phoned in and she said, I, you know, I, I was bullied when I was a, a little girl and um, I've never forgotten it. And it's always sat with me. And she was so, uh, you know, it was, she could describe it in vivid detail. And I said, how old were you? She said, I was four. And I said, how old are you now? She said, I'm 84. Wow. And it really struck me how this deep injustice of being bullied lives inside people for so long and it's just it's so you know that bullies don't understand the damage that they've done and then i another woman called in and she said i was a bully i broke a little girl's clavicle once beating her up in the schoolyard i took another girl and i couldn't drive i was just a kid but i put her in the back of the car and convinced her i was kidnapping her until she locked her in the car and, and until she she was, she was, I mean, she was so alarmed and so scared. And this, and the woman said she'd been dealing with substance abuse and a whole bunch of other mental illness um, that she believed was caused by her own history being 
a bully. And so it got me just, I, I was so interested in the issue. And, and I read a story in the newspaper about these two kids who um, in Nova Scotia at high school, they saw a kid being bullied for wearing a pink shirt. And all these kids were, you know, other kids were calling him, you know, that you know, all the epithets. All the, all, for all the horrible names. Yeah. 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 And, you know, and they were really ganging up on him and a bunch of other, you know, they were a little clique of them. They were a whole bunch of kids were going after this kid. So these two boys who I guess were kind of moderately popular, but you know, they weren't anything, they weren't sort of the king and queen, the Kings of the school. They start, they came to shirt the school the next day and wore pink shirts. And they said, bully me, bully me. I'm wearing mm. a pink shirt. And then the day after, a whole bunch more kids started wearing pink shirts. And then the day after that, a whole bunch more. Until, like, basically the whole school was standing up to the bullies who were who made fun of that first mm. young man for wearing a pink shirt. Mm. And I was so moved by it. I thought, you know, okay, we could do this in BC. So I phoned Dave, who works with you, Dave Teixeira, right. Dave, yeah. otherwise known as Dave.ca. Yeah. yeah, and Dave Amazing. And um, he, uh, Dave, good taste in music. I would say also. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he, you know, I said, let's play. do something with this. So we, we, I got permission from CKNW and we decided to make it pink shirt day. We advertised it like crazy. This was starting in like January. Mm -hmm. By February, we had people offering us money, trying to get, giving us free pink shirts. We were printing up pink shirts. It was all totally on a shoestring. Front page of newspapers were all pink. I couldn't believe it. Mm -hmm. It just, it was, something that it was a little spark that Dave and I got going in British Columbia and it became like a huge inferno because so many people have experienced this and we live with it and we can't let it go. And being involved in the anti-bullying movement, I think gives people a sense a little bit, gets them a little bit closer to a sense of justice from what's been about what's been done to them. Yeah, and those two young uh, boys uh, uh, in Eastern Canada was David Shepard and uh, and Travis Price. And, of course, you know, that has resonated, as Christy said, throughout the country. But it was leaders like you early on that took the initiative. And, Christy, to your comments there, too, and we'll chat about this for a minute. But bullying today is more insidious and more vile than ever before because today you can send the, as you said, anonymous messages and you can share it online. And where, where we went to school, Christy, we'd go home at 3 o'clock and the bullying was done. We'd go, oh, my God, I got a few hours. You know, I got to face it tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. walking school again but yeah. now they turn on all the electronics and it's there so you know the suicide rate the the, the, the self-harm rate you know has been absolutely has just skyrocketed some some of the some of the steps you've learned over the years to to sort of you know make your child aware of it uh would be what i would say I always used to say to him, and you know, he got bullied too. I mean, I think most people have experienced it in some form or other. Um, just that this says so much more about the other people, mm -hmm. you know, once I, I, I mean, I, I think when somebody flips you the finger in the, in a parking lot, when somebody's yelling at an elderly lady or complaining loudly about an elderly lady taking too long in a supermarket lineup, whether it's a kid who's being bullied for, you know, wearing the wrong clothes at school. I think that's happening because the person that is doing it has something wrong going on inside them. And, you know, I mean, I could never convince my son to have sympathy for bullies. Um, I, and I think that's true for a lot of people. But ultimately, I think that's where we want to get to, is you actually want to pity them. Yeah. Most bu bullies have been bullied, probably by their own parents mm -hmm. um, or, or siblings at home. 
Mm -hmm. Um, They've learned that behavior from somewhere and they're angry and they're taking it out. But I do think also though, too, that children should always report bullying Mm -hmm. Um, and adults have to, and usually this happens at school. So it's, you know, it mostly falls to, to, to teachers and administrators have to respond to bullying appropriately. They have to know how to protect those children and give them, give them a sense of safety because you can't learn if Mm. you feel unsafe. Yeah, two comments I want to make around that too for anyone listening today. So, so number one, uh, just as uh, as uh, those two boys, uh, Davis and Travis, did right, it is not okay to stand by or ignore, right, or not participate. This is the one time when you have to jump in and say, no, 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 no. Hey, this doesn't, you know what? I'm not good with this. Turning a blind eye in this situation, just trying to get along with everyone. We need to teach our children that this is the one situation where they can jump in. The second thing. Sorry, Krista, go ahead. No, I was, I was just going to say, because that bystander effect right. is what gives bullies oxygen. It's bullies mm. don't bully. You notice bullies don't do it when there's nobody else around. Right. They do it when other people are there. And so if you have a child who sees someone being bullied, for heaven's sakes, do what tra- tell them to do what Travis and mm-hmm. David did and stand mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'd say that's really important too is that you as parents, right? And you know, both Christy and I have, have done a lot of this. As I said, I was really involved. I am someone uh, still operating today. We built the first uh, bullying texting platform in Canada that was adopted by uh, many provinces. Um, and the other thing is, is that when your kids come home or they seem off or distracted or less interested in life, you know, or if they complain about getting bullied, like get rid of the macho bullshit where you go suck it up and it's part of life and it'll be okay and go back to school. Like, like so many parents grew up in that era of just like, like it's, you're being a baby, get up, stand up. You got to scratch, go back to it. Right. That is not the way you deal with it today. I mean, kids need to see, they need to be so comforted and it's okay. And it's happened before and I've seen it and let's report it and tell me how you feel. Right. You know, we can't just say, suck it up and, and, and move on. It's going to be okay because we have no idea as parents, certainly in our generation, the, the vile nature and the ability to, as I said, spread it to, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of people, right? So make sure you reach out, make sure that you're open, make sure that you know the services that Absolutely. are are aware. Yeah, there's there's lots of them. But, you know, to your comment, I, I think it's, it's actually, with all the efforts that we've made, it's actually continues to get worse. I think you're right. And I think for young w- girls, it's even harder because the pressure on them to conform in a, in a really sexualized environment for young girls now. You know, and so, you know, we're, that's, you know, you see so many more, you know, girls uh, who, are, who are getting tricked on the internet into taking their clothes off, who are getting videoed and, you know, who are finding themselves, um, you know, being shamed, um, you know, in sexualized situations. And I mean, I can't, oh, I God. cannot imagine what that is like for those kids, but certainly you're right, Gary, if kids are coming home bullying doesn't build character bullying destroys people Mm, sure does it's like saying war it's like saying war saves lives right i mean you know i mean i think there are there is such a thing as a just war i mean for you know in some cases but war kills people yeah Let's uh, thank you. Uh, what a great, uh, interesting co- topic to discuss. Let's jump over. Uh, U.S. President Ronald Reagan once said, the, mo- the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from government and I'm here to help. That's pretty cynical, but it does speak to a mistrust many people have in our government. 
How do we work to regain that mistrust? And 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 do we have more mistrust today or less than than uh, in the past? You know, for Canada, I don't know the answer to that, mm. Gary. I think that in the states, certainly there's a lot less trust. Mm. Um, I think people have always been a little bit suspicious of government, um, and you know. It, generally don't think government works very well. And, you know, I think that that's true of lots of large institutions. I mean, you'll know this, right? One of the challenges of getting big mm. is getting slow and getting a little dumb. Mm. And there really aren't organizations that are bigger than government. I mean, the government budget is, you know, sort of in the $55 billion range just in BC. Um, that's a pretty big organization to try and run. And there's a lot, it's going to do lots of dumb things that it probably shouldn't. It did it on my watch and it will do it it's doing it on John Morgan's watch and yeah, yeah. on his successor's watch. It's just the way it is. So I think, um, I think it's wise actually to have a natural dist distrust of big institutions mm -hmm. because they don't, they're sloppy and they don't do things well. Right. I also think it's important for the people who are paying for government taxpayers to be vigilant about where their money is going because that money comes out of your pocket, it goes straight into government's pocket and gets recycled back into you in the form of services. Well, you want to know that those services are being, you know, well delivered and you're getting value for your money like you would with anything that you purchase. Uh, so I, I think having a little distrust of government is a wise thing for most citizens. I do think, though, it gets a little bit dangerous when people start to decide that they don't want to participate in government anymore because there's mm. no point. That's right. a problem. And so I think, you know, politicians have a job to do and the media have a job to do, I think, in ensuring that citizens know that democracy is worth it and that you can make a change in your government by joining a political party, first of all, by changing the political party from within, or even if you just want to just vote every four years or whatever, you know, when mm -hmm. an election comes around, just do that. But it does make a difference because you can kick the bums out if you feel like it's bad. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, and, 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 you know, if you don't have those relationships and you don't have a voice or an access and, you know, so at least it leads me to, to my next question. So, you know, we look at, at business leaders and especially small business leaders, like many of our office owners are uh, in every market in, in Canada. Um, any advice for how business leaders uh, can engage and, 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 and the first steps to, to work with local government. And I think that speaks to, you know, to municipal, you know, to provincial and to federal, uh, that's often the, the frustration, but is it worth to get started and how should they do it? You know, that is a fan, that's a fantastic question because I think, you know, back to your first question, your earlier question, people are pretty suspicious of politicians. They think mm -hmm. that they are useless mm -hmm. and that there's no point. Yeah. That is not true. And the smaller, the lower the level of government you're dealing with, the more imp useful, the more impactful contact with them is. And, you know, uh, people talk about the backroom boys in politics and yep, some of that happens for sure. But mm -hmm. really the people who are in the backroom of politics are the people that make the calls. They're the people that are around. They're the people that go to meetings. Mm -hmm. Why don't you become one of those people? Become known to government, take a little bit of time. Now, it's hard, I know, for small business people to find the time to do that mm -hmm. when you're just barely keeping your head above water. But, um, you know, if you're talking about a municipal council, I can't imagine that there are many municipal councillors who, you know, you're a municipal councillor in Coquitlam, you get a call from the guy that owns the, the Speedy Auto Glass franchise and says, hey, listen, you know, I'd like to invite you over to have a coffee and meet some of my staff. And I'm sure they would do that. 
90% of the time. And then you get a chance to talk to them, familiarize yourself with them, but also familiarize them with the challenges and the opportunities your business has. And they meet your staff and figure out, you know, they start to understand how important they are. Like that personal contact is easy to make. And it's amazing how few people actually do it. Mm. You know, it's it's such a, a valid point in, in every community in Canada. It just can start, as you just said, municipally at your city council. I mean, it's the relationships that I built with the councillors and mayors in the communities in, in, in my neighborhood in British Columbia uh, have been so uh, instrumental yeah. to our success. You know, because yeah. when you do have a real concern or advice or you'd like to, you know, make a comment or something, you have somebody who knows you will make time for you to maybe, you know, uh, send it up the flag. Poll. I mean, it has been incredibly important. So I think that's that's the answer to the question, guys. Start just locally in your own local, you know, community. Get to know your counselors. Show up. Uh, you know, uh, support. I think it's a really, really easy thing to do. And Gary, can I just say something about provincial politics? Please, yeah. People should know small business people in particular um, who you know who don't have big voices out there speaking for them. You got to remember how important caucus members are. The, you know, the premier uh, meets with his or her caucus every single week when the house is sitting and at least once a month when the house isn't sitting. And so, for example, when we were doing work on changing the way liquor stores were um, operating, mm -hmm. um, we had, I mean, every liquor store owner, I swear to God, in the province went to meet with their MLA. Right. And my caucus was in tumult about this. They were freaking out. And that, that made a difference in terms of the way we approached. We heard them. We heard mm -hmm. them through their MLAs. And so you should never think twice about phoning your MLA and going for a meeting with them. You're not there to try and beat them up or criticize them. You're there to say, hey, listen, this is the government policy. And I just want you to know it's really going to hurt my business. And what I here's why it's going to hurt my business. I'd love to have you come meet my staff and everybody. I think, you know, we play an important role in this community. And I just, what I'm, I hope I can ask of you is that you will bring your concerns to the minister and to the premier or to the, you know, the caucus um, to speak on my behalf, because I'm really worried that I, that this policy change is going to make it impossible for me to continue in, in this community. So it doesn't have to be confrontational. In fact, it shouldn't be, you're trying to make a friend, but never, ever step back from phoning somebody in government if you have a problem. And I don't mean bureaucrats, I mean politicians. Mm -hmm. As they say, and there's never been a truer, you know, statement, but it still applies today, right? The squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? Yep. And, you know, like anything we talk about, right? Just, you know, trying to fit in or, or stand on the sidelines, right? Never advances forward progress. So uh, great. So Christy, so what do you think today uh, are maybe some of the greatest challenges facing us as business leaders. I mean, arguably at one time you ran one of the, you know, the biggest businesses in the, in the province in, in government. So today and where we're at today, and you've been removed for several years, but what are the challenges that you recognize today that business leaders uh, are going to be facing over the next year or two? I think business leaders' biggest problem um, is a lot of it's going to be COVID related. And I don't mean trying to get back on your feet after COVID and sadly some won't, we know that. Um, because, you know, rebuilding after that, I think those, the problems that businesses are going to face are going to be, have their root in government because, um, we are blowing up a massive, massive debt across the country. I think we'll probably see our credit rating downgraded. I mean, British Columbia, we always maintained a triple A credit rating when I was the premier and those, you know, we're going to start to see all that downgraded. Um, um, we are going to, we're a small economy. 
without the ability to be able to support the debt that we have. So we're not in the position that the United States is in. And we are going to, I think, start to see governments do two things. They're, one, they're going to cut back massively on services, which may not affect businesses so much. Although, you know, if you're hoping that your mom or dad can get the health care that they need, that might be a very real problem um, on a personal level. But it's also going to mean governments are starting to look for revenue. And that's going to come from the business community. So I think that, um, and individuals, obviously, I just think you're going to see more money flowing into government and less money flowing directly into the economy, which is a terrible thing. The more mm -hmm. money that the more money that the private sector generates that goes directly into people's pockets to be spent again and used to invest again is far better than government spending it for people. So I am very deeply concerned about the debt and the impact that that's going to have on our long-term economy. And I do think that um, with the United States um, kind of being back and doing better, um, I think is I think that's going to be a real competitive problem for us too. Mm. So let me tell you, have we? Or let me ask you, have we seen the last of Christy Clark? Because uh, that sounds pretty compelling. <laughs> yeah, well, for now you have. I don't know, Gary. For, for now, know. yeah, yeah. I, I don't know, Christy. I think it's been in your blood for for you know. I mean, from watching your your, your dad as a little girl, I. I, I would I would question that's uh, that's the case. I've had my fill of it for now. That is for sure. sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Like I am loving my private life. It's great. I can I can see my friends and I can help people in a different way. You know. So I, I don't know. I've really yeah. I've really enjoyed kind of the anonymity, I guess, of mm. private life. Yeah. Here's a question, Gary, back to bullying. Can you talk about being called a bully in business? I've heard you call the Billy a bully that before, but I see you being compassionate, protecting your brokers and companies. There is a big, huge difference. You speak for your people and to protect them. So I'll take a quick shot of that because it's based on me. You know, as I said to you before, anytime you're leading or you're doing something, you know, cutting edge or you're leading an industry or you're outpacing somebody else in, in, gross, uh, in growth, unfortunately, you know, rather than people just bearing down and building a better business, they try to rise themselves up by rumor and innuendo and, and calling, you know, you a bully. And it's not, you know, it's not safe special for me. It's, it's for any leaders in the industry. And as I said to, to Christy earlier, you know, anyone who knows me, whether it's brokers or lenders or insurers or franchise owners or offices or, 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 you know, any of the constituents that are in our orbit, they know better. So, you know, I just think that when you are at the top or when you are, let's use, you know, Charlie Sheen's word winning, when you seem to be doing well in any industry, you know, people are naturally taking shots at you and you just have to become very thick skin and, and just understand that it doesn't matter because those who know you know best. Mm -hmm. Anything you want to comment to that, Christy? Because I mean, nope. you've been at the very, at the very top of industry and, you know, and, and I know being in, in your home province that you were bullied, you know, online, you know, via the media, you know, oh, I like this. I remember this, Christy. If this man kicked the dog, he'd still win the election. Well, let's let's talk about that. I I I, I love that. <laughs> I know I do too. Uh, gosh, I you know I've always wanted to get a copy of that. Um, that we'll get it. Front we'll page. get it to you. <laughs> okay, yeah, that would be great. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's one of those things. And when I I think you know this is this is I think important for business, and I'm sure this is something that you've done too, Gary. I remember in 2013 in about, you know, the election was going to be in May. So it was probably like January, February. We were just mm. in the ditch. 
And um, no, it was earlier than that. It was probably like August the year before 2012. We were in the ditch and we were like 20 points behind and there was just no coming back. It was terrible. The media were obsessed with just every contact I had with them. It was all, you know, why are you going to lose? Why are you such a loser? Why are you, you know, so, so terrible at this? And I remember one day just saying, you know what? I am, I just decided that the only way to uh, win was to take it all on my own shoulders and that I was going to do this myself. Mm -hmm. And that if I won or I lost, I would do it with no regrets because I was going to go all in, leave nothing in the field, mm -hmm. but that the only way to get there through all the noise was to just keep putting one foot in front of the other. I mean, it's that Winston Churchill quote, which I always misquote, but it's something about, you know, when you're walking through hell and you're trying to get out, the only thing you can do is keep walking. That's what mm -hmm. I felt like. And mm -hmm. that's what I did. Well, he must've kicked a lot of dogs because you kicked a lot of ass, Christy. Right. You know, when that happened. So, I mean, congratulations. Listen, we're going to wind down in the next, uh, in the next four or five minutes. Um, looking back now, Christy, uh, you know, uh, Hey, Mishes, how old is your son now? He's 19. He's 19 years old. Wow. He's 19 already looking back now and looking, looking back at your storied career and, and, and your history, uh, in politics, if you were given your, your 25 year, uh, self now, 25 year old self, um, some tips or, or some wisdom, uh, you know, what would it be? I would say, um, You know, if I was going to look back, I, oh boy, that's a really tough question because I'm not quite in the looking back stage yet. Right. I would say, you know, um, Christy, you don't have to do everything yourself. Mm. Don't be afraid of asking people to help you. Be clear about the help that you want and the help that you need from other people. Um, I would say, you know, always, always remember to be kind, even when it's really hard and you feel like you're dying, that you don't need to kill everybody else around you. And I think, you know, I think um, kindness is, is the most important part of this. And also remember that this is only one stage of your life. There's a lot mm. more that's going to happen. And right. um, you're, you're not going to die if you fail. Mm. Um, so, I, I think those those be kind of some of the things I would say, you know, to be kind to kinder to myself, maybe, and to be kinder to other people, because when you get caught up in the hurly burly of something, doing something that's really, really, really hard, mm -hmm. I think it's easy to just sort of run over other people and, and mm -hmm. forget that they're all doing their best too sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, it's, you said something there that, that was very compelling to me. Um, you know, we see so many people and we see it in bullying, especially, right? Like, you know, reminding our children that, hey, you know, in 10 or 12 or four or six or 20 years from now, none of this is going to matter. It's such a small piece in your life. So you have to look far enough out to know that this too shall pass and you will get through it. And I think that's a really good lesson in uh, business. Let me ask you one question, Christy, because you know, often, and and me as a, as a male and someone that has been really, really fortunate through our people in our industry, I still sometimes suffer with the imposter syndrome. It's like, holy shit, can you believe I'm the CEO? Like, really? Like, who have I fooled, right? Did you deal with the imposter syndrome 
um, you know, uh, all the way through or did it get better or do you still fight the imposter syndrome? Because I know a lot of people who are running their businesses, mortgage companies just go, wow, like I, I should know more. I didn't go to university. I don't have the education. I shouldn't be here. Just give me your thoughts on that, would you? Yes, I suffered from it all my life until when I was I was at in, I think we were in opposition and the attorney general critic who was a brilliant man, really brilliant, great education, fantastic career. Um, probably, I know I thought probably the smartest member of our caucus. Who was sitting that? Sitting around a glass of wine one day and he says, you know, I just feel like, sometimes I just feel like such a fraud. And I went, what? You feel like a fraud? And then I realized, well, if he feels like a fraud, then everybody feels like a fraud. And once I realized right. everybody felt like a fraud, I was like, well, you know, maybe either we're all frauds and that then I, I'm okay being a fraud or we're not all frauds and I'm not one either. Crazy. Unbelievable. I want to, uh, while we're still live here, I want to thank our sponsor, First National, uh, just some of the greatest partners in the Canadian finance space. Been with us since day one. Uh, Stephen, um, the whole team, uh, Scotty, uh, dear pal of mine, thanks for all the work you do in the broker channel. We're huge fans. Uh, and I want to thank you, Christy. Uh, and boy, I could sit here and, and hopefully we get a chance when we're through this COVID to uh, sit down and have a glass of wine or two because it's funny. I've known you for years and we've been in the same space and had lots of mutual friends, but you know we haven't spent any real time sitting down. And I can tell you, uh, wow, you are just an incredible individual. You are a, a, a the epitome of leadership. Forget about female leadership. I mean, that's a given. You are the epitome of leadership. You're kind, you're generous, you're caring. Uh, and we just appreciate you sharing. So guys, anyone on this uh, podcast today, again, we're going to send out 50 copies, uh, you know, tag myself, tag Christy, make a comment online. I'm sure if we want Christy back sometime to ask more questions, um, you know, hopefully she would be uh, happy to do so. But Christy, on behalf of uh, the Level Up uh, podcast series, on behalf of uh, Dave Tashira, who helped put this together, and uh, my team, I just can't tell you how grateful we are. It's it's incredible. It's just been a oh. what a what a great hour. It's been great to share this, and appreciate you sharing your listeners' time with me, Gary. And um, remember, in this book, the most important message is, uh, for me anyway, it is not as important to be happy. Mm. It is important to be fulfilled. Yeah. That's to me, we search for happiness. We think about what's going to make us happy. Should I go for a spa weekend? I actually think that um, fulfillment is the more important part of it. And is that, is that in your opinion, while we got you, this, I'm going to squeeze every second out. Is that, is that, you know, going, goes back to the messaging around eulogy, family, around relationships, around love, not about stuff. Not about stuff. It's about, uh, you know, and I think that's why kindness it matters because we feel so good about ourselves. We see, feel so fulfilled when we're kind to other people and that's because we are giving it's not about we're giving we're making someone else happy but making someone else happy is usually the best way to make yourself happy what a great way to end miss clark thank you so much for everything you do i know you're going to stay online for a minute we're going to do just a quick uh sort of 60 second afterwards to all of my friends our team anyone on social media we really appreciate your time the hour you spent with us today it was incredible thank you very much tune in for our uh, next level up series uh, can't wait tom kaiser we're going to have that march 11th at two o'clock dave to my team everyone else thank you very much have a great day guys see you soon